want to start off by talking about the Word of God. It gives us seven things, right? There, there are seven things that we can get and have the power to accomplish in our lives. And I want to discuss how to access this power, what, they, you know, what those seven things are and how to do that. And 2 Chronicles 14, verses 4 through 6, is the story of King Asa. King Asa was one of the kings in the Bible. And the Bible said that Asa did what was good in the sight of God, that he obeyed him. And in verse 6, it says, Asa sought to inquire of and for him. When it says him, it's God. So he was inquiring of God, and he was inquiring for God. And he wanted to crave God. And this is what the scripture says, crave God as a vital necessity and to obey the law and the covenant of God. So Asa, you know, Israel, they were serving a lot of foreign gods. They had a lot of idolatry that was happening, nasty stuff. I mean, they had temple prostitutes, nasty things. So King Asa, when he came in, you know, because the people had forgotten what God had said and how he had said for them to live. They had forgotten. They had taken foreign wives to themselves and you know, I'm a foreign wife to my husband, and I was a heathen before. You know, I, I got Jesus, and he was brought up in the Word. So there's, when you take something that's foreign and doesn't know what God's talking about, you're going to end up in trouble. And this was the things for the kings of Israel. But here was Asa, and the Scripture called him good, that he did good in the sight of the Lord. He tore down all of these high places. He tore down all of the idolatry. And his heart was to search God's heart for what God had to say to the people. Verse 7 states that they, the people of God, prospered because they sought after the Lord and they yearned and they desired God with their entire hearts. Okay, so we are in a moment in our history that we have never seen before. And the world has zero solutions to what ails society, world leaders, business owners, spiritual leaders doctors, scientists, they're all examining issues that plagues our nations, not just the United, the entire world. It's just in, like, it's unraveling before us. That's what it seems like to me. Um, And no one has a viable solution as to what will fix some of these things. They offer no answer. You know, all they're, they're saying that we need more tax dollars. We need more therapy, right? We're being told we need more therapy. We need more political correctness and wokeness, more education, more tolerance, more diversity training, more genders, more and more wars. And it would seem that the more and more that, um, that we find ourselves with these issues, the church is like right here, very silent. You know, it's almost like believers and people who attend church are just not wanting to give a response to it because, they, one, they don't know how to. And two, they don't know what the answer is. And we want today, what I want to point to is that we have all of the answers. There's nothing new, Solomon said, under the sun. And there's no new problem that, you know, you can say that, hey, these are new things. We're in a different, somebody even told me that the sun is different. I'm like, the sun is different. Stop it. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay, so the answer is because we are believers, right? Everyone who's sitting in here, right? I pray that you're a Christian. And if you are a Christian, there's a handbook for us, and it's called the Word of God. The Bible calls people without God, it calls them wicked. The counsel of the wicked results, Scripture teaches, in blindness, in loss, and in oppression. Proverbs 4.19, Passion Translation. The wicked walk in thick darkness like those who travel in a fog. And yet they don't have a clue as to why they keep stumbling. We love to read the blessings of God in Deuteronomy 28. 
Almost every believer knows, you know, how God says, hey, you're blessed going in, you're blessed going out. But a lot of times we forget to read what comes after the blessing, what proceeds after that. Um, We got to read scripture in context and we have to read from the very start to the very end, right, to understand what the spirit of God is saying. Verses 28, the Lord says that I will smite you with madness and with blindness and dismay of mind and of heart. And you'll go about in noonday as the blind gropes in the darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continuously, and there shall be no one to save you. This is not for you and I. This is for the wicked. Those are without God. I want to share with you some ways that our lives are transformed by living with the Bible as your guide and as your foundation. A life lived in the word of God will result in us living life to, our, to the very fullest potential that God has called us to live. This cannot be accomplished apart from knowing him and knowing what's written in the word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 40, 8 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Greek word for truth here is aletheia. And it's something that is a reality. It's a divine truth. It's not an idea. It's not a thought. It's a reality right now that I'm seeing Tom sitting there. And I'm seeing Jackie sitting there. And I'm seeing Sue. That's a reality. And if you all knew their names, you would say they were really here. So it is for the word of God. It's a truth. It's something that God has revealed to the hearts of his people. But a lot of times we're walking around like we're in darkness because we don't know what's in there. And Jesus said also, you know, the Passion Translation for that. So I'll just give you a different spin on it. For if you embrace this truth, it will release freedom into your lives. So we must embrace the reality that who is this truth? Who's the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who's the truth? Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So if Jesus is God's son, representative, and he's God, you know, he doesn't look at it like he supersedes God, like the enemy wanted to do. But he, he didn't count himself equal to God. He said, I, the God, God's my father, and I submit to the will of my father. But if Christ and the word are one, then we know that this word is a reality and it's truth. That comes alive in your heart. That's why you accepted Jesus, because something inside of you witnessed to that truth. right? And Jesus said, as I said before, you know, during transition, when he left, he said, I'm going to send another Because he was leaving them. He said, I'm going to send one just like me, the Holy Spirit, who will remain with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. And and that spirit, the world cannot understand him. They cannot accept him. They cannot take to heart because it doesn't see and it doesn't know and it doesn't know how to recognize him. You see, the simple fact that you gave your life to Christ was because God opened your eyes to something bigger than yourself. That is the biggest thing that we will ever have. He opened our eyes. And when we, Jesus said, and, and the more you have, the more I'll give you. But to him, you know, who has and doesn't do anything with it, even that which he has, he'll take it away from him. So the more knowledge that you have of God is because you're doing something with it. And that's encouraging, y'all. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to partner with you and I. He has given us the spirit of truth to guide us, to counsel us, to help us, to intercede, to be my advocate. He's at the right hand when that accuser comes to heaven. There's someone at the right hand of God that's saying, hey, paid a price for her. Okay, when I lack wisdom for what I have to do, you see, if I was made from eternity past before the very foundations of the earth, every problem that I will ever face, there has already been written a solution for it. Let me give you the juiciest piece of scripture that you will ever, 
revelation you'll ever have. This is what you need for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, it changed my life. When God created everything, and on the seventh day, if you and I were created before the very foundations of the earth, when God created everything, what did he do on that seventh day? So you and I were created before God rested. Everything that you will ever go through, God rested. He doesn't have to come up with another solution for the problem. That's a good word, y'all. He doesn't. He rested. Everything has already been provided in Christ. And it's up to us to find out what that is and how to do that. Scripture, the scripture was authored. There's 66 books in our Bible. Over 40 individuals penned this word. And they were lawyers, you know, um, taxmen, politicians, fishermen. Um, what else did I write in here? Several things. Prophets, preachers, singers, priests, farmers, doctors, lawyers. Paul was a tent maker. They were soldiers. They were shepherds. All of these people from different social classes, right, over the span of 1,500 years, centuries before one started writing, centuries after one person would complete the writing. But yet, it is the, so you take 40 of us, right? If we were all lawyers, take 40 of us, or politicians, let's use politicians, 40 politicians to come up with a solution. How many answers do you think you'd get? And some of them would be so far-fetched, so far-fetched, right? Don't eat cows, don't whatever. It would be so far-fetched. But yet, we have over 40 people, different socioeconomic classes, different upbringings, you know, from a tent maker, um, a fisherman. You know, shepherds were, like, despised in the Bible because they were just dirty and nasty. And then we had politicians, right, who look down at these shepherds. But yet, with all of these different authors, everything in the Bible has one central theme, one central theme, the creation of man and the redemption of man through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? All of it is in perfect harmony and unity. How impossible is that in our natural? So all it points to is that there was one divine creator leading them. The scripture is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, every scripture is God-breathed. It's his inspiration, you know, and profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction of sin, correction of error, to bring discipline and obedience, and for training, you and I, to be trained in righteous living and holy living, conformity to God's perfect will in thought, in our purposes, and in our actions. There's so much evidence to prove the validity and the historicity of our scriptures. You know, if you do some research, you'll see that I think it was in 1978, maybe. I don't have this in my notes. I'm just going my memory. I was teaching. One of the most, one of the most um, amazing things that the Lord ever allowed me to do was teach in children's ministry. This is where my heart began to receive the word of God. And I would be teaching them. And they always knew Ms. Mira was getting ready to cry. Because as I was teaching them, I got the revelation of the scripture. And I didn't go in there half-heartedly. I went in there like I was preparing to teach up here with those little kids. I didn't care if they were toddlers, if they were in the first grade, because the Bible says that those who teach the word will be judged more severely. So I didn't take it half-heartedly. I went in to teach the word like when I was preaching to the masses. I watched children's lives transformed, and some of our kids are here serving today. They are. You know, they're here, and we're, we're so grateful. You all make sure that you tell our children's ministry workers thank you because they're pouring in life, right? So we, as we were doing that, one of my research took me. I wanted to see 
I, I was reading about Moses in the Red Sea and what happened. And I got to looking at that one little verse in scripture that talked about these choice chariots that, that um, Pharaoh, I was going to say Pedro, that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh rode on. And I was like, what are these choice chariots? Yeah, Matthew, Pedro. We'll call Pharaoh Pedro, no. Um, but I was looking at that, and as I did some research, do you know, like, back, there were some archaeologists. One of, the, one of them was named Ron. They found that these choice chariots, their wheels were not just like wood. Well, what will happen with wood in the ocean? It'll decay. Okay, so, the, so the, in the Sea of Agrabah, our Red Sea, they found these choice chariots were made of gold, and they were embedded down in the ocean floor. They're still finding scrolls now to prove the things that are in here in the canon of Scripture. It is what it is. I mean, look at the news the other day. Who got swallowed by a whale? Y'all may think that we're talking about stories, but we're not talking about stories. This is real life, y'all. Somebody got swallowed by a whale, and he got spit up by the whale. How cool is that? I'm like, God, you are forever proving your point. He is forever speaking and forever validating that, hey, this word works, y'all. Come on. It works. So there's too much evidence. But a lot of times we find ourselves just turning to each other, turning to our Google um, searches, call a friend, phone home, whatever it is. And we're not turning to God to say, God, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? So here are seven things that I'd like to point out that a life lived in the word of God and God's knowledge applied to this truth will have the power to do. Number one, it will have the power to reveal. So we go to the first two books in the Bible, Genesis 1 and Genesis, first two books, 2. I need you all to, to react. Help me out here. Um, Genesis 1 and 2. In these two books of Scripture, God reveals his plan for man. He reveals creation. He tells us everything right there in the beginning. And it's up to us to go find it. Science cannot disprove what God has written. If we were evolving, you would still be evolving. I know some centurions. They'd still be evolving. You don't look like a monkey. You do not, okay? I might act like a monkey, but, okay? So science cannot disprove what God has already proven. Point two, the word of God has the power to demolish. If it's God-breathed, every lie that comes against you cannot and will never stand against God's word. Jesus shut them up in his day. He shut them up. They would ask him this, and he perceived that they were trying to trick him, and somehow the Spirit of God inside of him would work, and he'd give an answer, and it'd cause everyone to just shut up and turn their backs and tuck their tails and go home. How many times in Scripture has that been proven? Okay, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is, it is for us to teach, and it is for us to bring down every argument for you and I. We are supposed to know it so we can demolish the lies that we hear. When I did banking, we had to study a, a, the real money, so good, so good. We didn't study what was false. And that's our problem this day. They take a little bit of truth. We were just talking about this. They're taking just a little bit of truth and putting it, or, or they're taking a big truth and putting a little lie in there. And it's up to you and I to figure out what that little lie is. We've got to. We have to be able to do that, okay? You will never hear, you'll never hear people if anyone wants you to taste something like a meat, what do they tell you it tastes like? Chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. You'll never hear someone say, this tastes like frog legs because I ain't touching it. You know, they'll say, hey, Mira, this tastes like chicken. I was like, everything tastes like chicken. Why aren't we applying this very same concept to the word of God? Everything should sound like the word. And if it's not in the word, right, if scripture accepts something, 
we accept it. If scripture rejects something, what should we do with it? Reject it. If it don't taste like chicken, we don't want it. See, that's what, that's what that analogy is. If it doesn't sound like God's word, discard it. Leave it alone. You will never get something to work that doesn't line up with his word. It doesn't work forever. It will never work, right? So the word is powerful. It will push back every and any debate and all human arguments of unbelief. It will tear down and demolish every human stinking way of thinking. Stinking way of thinking. Yeah, because when the word says that we pray for those who uses us and hurts us instead of an eye for an eye, right? At one time it was that, but Jesus came. He fulfilled everything. First five books is the law. Everything after that is the prophets. That's what that scripture means. He came to fulfill what the law spoke of and all the prophets, major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. Christ was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is what he came to do. But he showed us that there was a need for a better covenant, but it never did away with the old covenant. It's just, and then some. So we got to then some with Jesus. Okay. The word has the power to replicate. Luke 8, 11, the Passion Translation says, here then is the deeper meaning to my parable. So Jesus explained his parables to his disciples. We are his disciples. The word of God is a seed that is sown into the hearts of people. Okay, he tells us the word is like a seed. This has a power, or this seed has the power to grow like a plant. Okay, so if I plant apple trees, I'll get apples. The word, if we plant the word in the hearts of people, we will have more disciples. We will have a life that resembles Jesus's. Okay, people, and, and I've got some of this in my notes. People um, way back in centuries, you know, I think it was between the 13th and the 19th century, they were killing people who accessed the word of God. Men and women gave their lives for hiding the word of God. They did. But the more that they came, the church came under persecution, the more that the church grew. And they gave their lives to take this word because, you see, all of it has one common principle is that we are going to multiply the church, right? We are going to multiply the church. It is his idea. So replication, you know, have or the word replicating itself in the lives of others, it's what we want. We want greater things to happen. The word also has the power to restore us. Jesus, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 25, you were like sheep that continually wandered away, but now you have returned to the true shepherd of your lives. Remember, Peter himself, remember what he went through, what he was going through? He denied Christ. So that was wicked. A lie is wicked. There's no little lie. There's no white lie. There's no fibs. A lie is a lie, and it is wicked because Satan is the father of all liars. If you exaggerate a truth, beloved, it is a lie, okay? So if you can lift five pounds and you say, man, I lifted 50 pounds today, I'm so sorry, it's a lie. It's a lie, okay? Lies, I do not care how you spin it. The enemy, Satan, is the father of all liars, and Revelation, I used to sing this little song. I don't know why I just said that. Revelation, Revelation 21.8, 21.8. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell. Burn, burn, burn. That's how I got into my children. We don't lie. So when they have, they have, I would sing them that little song and just walk away. All right? So we want, it has the power to restore. So Peter lied about knowing Jesus. But Jesus prayed for Peter, and he is one of the greatest 
fathers of our faith. He came back to the Lord, and the Lord restored him to fellowship. So the word has the power to restore, okay? It has the power to revive. Psalms 138.7 says, By your mighty power, I can walk through any devastation, and you will keep me alive. You will revive me. Your power sets me free from all hatred of my enemy. God's word brings our weary souls comfort. Some of you all were weary coming in here today. And when I told you, when you leave here, if you receive that when we prayed, Something's going to happen on the inside of you. Expect it. He has the power to revive you because he has made you. He knows you from the inside out. Nobody else knows you like Jesus, and nobody else will love you like Jesus. Okay? So Psalms 19.17 says, Yahweh's word, God's word, it's perfect in every way. It revives our soul. His law leads us to truth, and his ways change the simple. I'm a simple girl. It changes the simple. I'm not saying that I'm wise. But I make better choices than I did before I was saved. So that's wisdom, okay? So we put it to work. God's word also has the power to reward. Hebrews eleven six tells us without faith, it's impossible to please and to be satisfactory to God. For whoever would come near to the Lord must believe that God exists and he is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. We're not just living this life just to get to heaven. That's not my reward. The Bible says that there are crowns to get. I'm going to get it. And he talks about, so Paul says to receive the full reward. If, if there's a full reward, it tells us there could be a partial reward. Why do I want to fall short? I want to get everything that God has for me. You know, if you're, when we were growing up, I mean, we would, you know, like my grandparents raised me. One chicken would feed about 12 people, y'all. And this was a little seven pounder. It's not like the plumped up ones that they have at Sam's Club. Now you're buying a chicken breast and wondering if they killed a turkey. It wasn't like that. So we all had like one little piece of chicken that they'd curry up or stew up for us. And I left it the best thing for last. I'd leave everything tastes like chicken. I'd leave my little piece of chicken for last, right? Because I I just wanted to, to savor that. And that was my reward. At the end of the week, one day a week, we would have that. God is not like that. It's every day that we could eat the goodness of God. And he wants us to come after it. Okay, I once got into a discussion with a friend um, on the subject of homosexuality. And this person had a friend who chose to live in this lifestyle. And as we were discussing our views on this subject, I told her that, hey, I've got friends and loved ones too, family members, that are choosing to live in this lifestyle. And um, what I do in times like this is that I let people, when they have this discussion, well, you know, I know, you know, one person came to me and said, hey, I know that you won't agree with this, and, you know, you're probably going to be mad at me. And I knew what they were getting ready to tell me, and I was like, well, and what do you think I'm going to do? And they said, well, you know what I'm going to tell you? I said, I know what, you tell them, what you're going to tell me. I said, but I'll tell you this before you tell me. I don't care what it is. Even if you were, like, addicted to food and were a glutton, I don't care what it is. If you're addicted to pornography, if you were a constant liar, gambler, cheat, whatever the scripture talks about, if you're not, I don't care what you tell me. At the end of the day, remember the reward that we receive? You don't get that from me. Brother, sister, you don't get that from me. You get that from the Lord. So at the end of the day, what does God have to say about this? What is his opinion? And the response to, you know, this person that was talking to me was like, well, if they're going to hell anyhow, I might as well let them live the best life they can live. My heart, y'all, were so, it was so pierced with that. I mean, like, I left that conversation crying, and I thought, what? If we don't warn them, who will? And it's not warning to say that, hey, you know, I have, the Bible says, don't fear man who doesn't have the power to put you in heaven or hell. Fear God. 
You know, that's a respect, and that's having reverence for God's word. You know, and the bottom line is that when people die, if they're, okay, let's just say that this whole God thing was just bogus, right? It's just bogus. But at the end of our lives, if we die, and by chance, by some small chance, there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, where do you want to take your chances? You do. You know, the last time, you know, that I read the scriptures in hell, the fire, you know, I've got a friend right now who's having some real prophetic dreams. All they're seeing is people burning with fire. Because the scripture says that their fire never goes out and the worms doesn't stop. Listen, that's in the Bible. Pick it up with God. He wrote it in there for us. In the book of Isaiah, it says that we will be able to see them burn forever. That, that frightens me. I don't want to see people that I love. So if I have to tell them about a potential reward, right, it doesn't matter what I think. At the end of the day, we all want to get that reward. So God says that the word has the power to reward us with eternal life. We have to do a better job in convincing others and ourselves that we have a reward that we're headed to. It's not heaven. Is, it's not just a destination because Jesus came to bring heaven on earth. When we pray, he said, pray what the Father prays, God, that it would be done on earth as it has already been established in heaven. You think God wants me to walk around this earth just lack luster and just like suffering? Why? There's a reward. It's written in the word. Okay? So we can live a good life and simply be at peace with no lasting effects. You know, this, this is what happens when we die. Is this the best? Are you telling me that this earth is the best that we could ever have? I think not. Listen, I have watched a person who was born blind receive their sight in front of me. I have watched a woman who, uh, my grandfather was born with polio, you know, and he was Hindu. I don't know between his last breath. What I have decided, decided in the last three, two months, two months, is that I will never say that someone went to hell or someone went to heaven. The Lord has just enlightened my heart because we don't know. It simply says that anyone who calls out, and I know the love that I have for my children, if they ask me for help, I'm there. That's the heart of our Father, okay? But I do know that if I've been now 27 years in God, that there is more for me than just coming to church. And I have to give an account for every day that I have spent in God. And some days, y'all, I feel like I've wasted 27 years. God, what have I done for you? What have I done, God? So there's a reward for us to get. Romans 1 says, 116 says, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is God's powerful method about bringing all who believe into heaven. And this message was preached first to the Jews alone. But now everyone is invited to come to God in the same way. Everybody's invited, okay? Jesus said, what? In, in the, I, I waited to watch The Chosen with my staff, but they went ahead of me. But it's all right, guys. So I saw that first episode, episode four, season one. And, and what he said, it, oh my gosh, his smile. When I saw it, I just started weeping. And he said, you catch them, and I'll sort it out in the end. Catch him. Just catch him. Number seven, God has the, his word has the power to make us ready. Remember? So we're rewarded, but we're ready. Okay? You also must be ready at a time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. Just what Jesus said. 
but his word will cause us to be ready like those 10 wise virgins, okay? Hosea 4, 6, listen, when I read this, I love the Old Testament. I am the girl that loves perhaps the Old Testament more than the new because in the Old Testament, I see my father's heart towards me. Everything that they sinned with, they were warned way before in the law. Way before it ever happened, God warned them. If you take foreign wives and the day that you get a king, this will happen to you. Everything we had a warning of before. So I see that God is a gentle father that lovingly takes care of us. Some things were hard, but as I went from Genesis all the way to Revelation, I understood his heart for me. Okay? I love the promise of Christ because he empowers me to live this life. But Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you, me, you, the priestly nation, we are kings and priests, y'all. It's in the word. Have rejected knowledge. The Lord says, I will also reject you and you shall no more be a priest to me. Seeing that you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now, when I speak of law, it's not ritualistic things. Okay, it's not every day me, okay, God, hail Mary, full of grace. It's not that. It's not every day I have the same conversation with God. When I talk to you about the law, I'm saying the word. Because the law is something that never, it doesn't change. When we have to start changing principles, something's wrong. That means we're changing it based on personal preferences. The Bible doesn't change like that. It's established. My word has been established forever. It will never change and change. It'll never change, and every word of it will be fulfilled. That's what God says, right? This word is called sperma. It's a seed. It has the ability to change every part of our lives. It is prophetic. Can you imagine what it would be like if we really spoke to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? What would it be like? The staff and I, we sometimes do that. We answer in scripture form to each other when we're talking, and it's really funny. But I know that the word, you see, the one thing that the enemy hated, you know, when God, that's why he's perverted sex. That's why sex is perverted in our culture. Because it's the one thing that God, when he made man and woman and he made them, Genesis 5, 2, he said, I I made the man and woman. And when God put them together to come together, it is the first time that we see that we were made to be like him and create. It's the first time. So he has tried to pervert that from the very beginning. The enemy came into to mix it up. Isn't it mixed up today, y'all? It's mixed up today. But we got to go back to in the beginning. In the beginning. We always go back to the beginning. And then we look at the end of the story and we win. But we got to put that word into play, right? So the word has the power. It's sperma. It has the power to reproduce like itself. It has the power to give life, okay? So declare the word over your life and the lives of others. Um, the word will build us up. It will edify. It will bring us comfort. It will draw us towards God. It will never push you away from God. You know, the only time that we, we don't really want to read the word is when we don't intend to do it. The only time we don't want to ask permission from our parents when we're kids to do something is because we know that we've already set our minds to go a different way. Okay, that's just, that's the way that it is. That's how I raise my kids. First Peter 1, 23, it says this word, this eternal word, it, you know, you have been born again by this seed, this incorruptible seed. This is not a hybrid thing. We can't mix it up. It's pure. There's no crossbreeding God's word, okay? Um, it defies all of our common sense way of thinking. It is something spiritual and must be approached as such. We got to put our feelings aside when we go to the word of God. Put it aside. 
Just say, God, if you say it, I want to know it. All right, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God, and it talks about the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. The Word of God, if I had my physical Bible, y'all hold up your Bibles. Y'all got your Bibles, hold it up. This is my weapon. It is, your, it is the one tangible weapon, the thing that you can see and feel that God has placed in your hands. No other gifts of the Spirit is like that. None of the others. But the word is something living, breathing, and it's in your hands to equip you, to empower you. Okay, accessing this power. I'll tell this story, and I'm, I'm watching that clock. It's like pastor's eyes are on me. But, okay, accessing this power. Charles Spurgeon, he is one of my favorite teachers, preachers. He's like the prince of preachers. You know, he's written some words, and it's so beautiful. His writing is just, like, amazing. So he tells this story. He had a, a heart that was so benevolent to poor people that he, to his church, he made this thing called an almshouse that was connected to the church. And in the house, you know, it was people who didn't have anything like severe poverty-stricken people. There was this one old lady that came to live there. And as she was living there, he said, you know, he, he went into a room to pay her a visit one day. And as he went into the room, um, he started looking around. She had this picture, faded old picture, this broken clock knickknacks all around and then she had this one picture with a it was in a frame it was a piece of paper and Spurgeon asked her he said hey he said what is this piece of paper and she said well she said I had a patient that I was nursing this old man and a very pleasant patient old man and when he was dying he said what is the one thing for everything that you have done for me what is the one thing I can give you and she said that he wrote he took a piece of paper and wrote his name and she said when I look at that frame picture I think about that man it reminds me of what a precious man he was so when he when Charles Spurgeon looked at it he said well can I can I borrow this piece of paper she's like no 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 you can't take that that's real precious to me and he's like he finally convinced her can I have this piece of paper can I borrow it and I'll bring it back so Charles Spurgeon took that paper and guess where he headed to the B-A-N-K. What do you think that paper was? A check. When he went to the bank, right, and he took this piece of paper there, one of the bank managers, and this has been like, this is probably over probably 20 years. I can't remember exactly how the story goes, but this is the story. It's a factual story that Charles Spurgeon saw. He took the paper to the bank manager, and the bank manager researched it, and he said, man, this money has been laying in this account, hundreds of pounds, Okay, the pound is worth more than our U.S. dollar now, I think. I still think it is. Um, but at that time, it was millions to her. And he went back and he said, you have been living in poverty because you were ignorant at what you possessed. Okay, this is the word of God. Are we living ignorant of what we possess? So I talked about seven things. Let's, let's hear how we access them. So just like this old woman, we have the greatest the greatest thing, greatest wealth ever. This is what God, the creator, he says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Come on, y'all. You're in lack. You're in lack of spiritual vibrancy. You're in lack of health. You're in lack of peace. You're in lack of good relationships. What are you lacking? He says, come to the water, the woman at the well. When you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. What are we lacking in God? Because he's ready to give it. So we must begin by reading the Bible. Take time. Make it a habit. Make it a habit. Make it a discipline. Your human nature will resist this every step of the way. 
right? And you'll say that I don't have time. I did this math, and I, did, I do this with my staff team. Y'all, we have 168 hours in our week. Out of that 168 hours, if you sleep seven hours a day, I've written it down here. If I work 40, I have 128 left. Follow me with the math. If I sleep 49, which I don't, I probably get like four or five hours of sleep a night, seven hours a day, right? If I sleep seven hours a day, I have 79 hours left. If I decided I want to stay on my bathroom toilet for an hour a day, I have 72 hours left, okay? The point is, what are we doing with our time? Do the math. You got 168 hours. Why don't you have time to spend some time with the Lord? right? That's what I have to do for myself. Ask for understanding. You'll say, hey, I don't understand. Remember what I said. If you have no intentions of doing it, Jesus said, the more you have, the more I'll give you. And even that which you have, when you don't use it, I'll take it away. You don't have understanding. Is it because we're going to the word with no intentions of listening to it and obeying what it says? That's one reason. The other reason, if it doesn't make sense, who is the revealer? Who is your counselor? Who's your teacher? Holy Spirit, simple prayer. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Thank you for understanding. I need revelation knowledge. Show me Christ in this page. Okay, I see Jesus from Genesis all the way to Revelation because I ask. I want to see Jesus. Show me the plan for redemption. And I've seen it from Genesis when God spoke to Eve, and I've watched it all through Revelation where he says I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last, right? Ask for understanding. Take notes. Take, get out a piece of pen and paper. Don't depend on your memory, okay? When I'm on that phone on that front row in the back row, I'm writing down every word that pastor says. He's been, my, he's been my mentor for 21 years. I've been his student. So when he's talking, even in his office when we're doing our weekly meetings, I'm writing down what he says because I'm not going to leave it up to my brain because my brain has mother, wife, you know, um, boss of our staff, team, leader, you know, here at church, um, sister, friend, what else we do? I mean, like all different kinds of hats. You know, a mentor, a mentee, all different roles I have. So I don't depend on my brain to remember what is most needful. So when somebody starts talking about the word, these thumbs work really fast, so fast that they get a cramp sometimes. Take notes and then categorize your reading. Pastor Mitch taught me that, this. And I don't know if any of our staff, I think some of them do it too, but I do this. So when I start reading, if it's on love, if it's on leadership, disciplining children, prayers, power in the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, I have all these different tabs. And if I'm electronically, I'll file it in there. And at the end of the day, when I categorize that, I'll go back, you know, so sometimes it'll be a month after, and I'll just read like my own little book. It's my composition. And then it's like, oh my gosh, that was so good. It feeds me. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word. So every time you read it, it just keeps building you up. Okay, so read. Learn how to take notes. Jesus said, or not Jesus, in the book of Joshua, it says, This word of God shall not depart from your mouth. On it you shall meditate on it day and night that you'll observe and do according to all that is written. For then, God told Joshua, fear not, Joshua. But here's how we fear not. For then I'll make your way prosperous, and you shall deal wisely and have good success. Okay? Everything was written in the word, remember, before it ever happened. Before it ever happened. Go to Deuteronomy 17. That's the law. God was warning them, you know, that when you desire a king, and remember when they desire a king, Samuel got so upset and sad. He's like, God was like, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. Samuel came way after Deuteronomy. 
God knew that one day they would want a king. And he told them, this is what will happen if you don't study my word and read it daily. You'll depart from me. And my gosh, one king in the Bible, it says his sins will never be forgiven because he, he shed blood from one end of Israel to the other end. That's one king. We don't want our children and the future ones. If you don't have, you might say, I don't have children. Listen, you're, you're um, mothering and fathering somebody that's not your own. You are. We don't want them to be forgotten by God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's going to be merciful to people who have, you know, an idea that, hey, I want to turn my heart to you. Okay? So we read it. We want to be obedient to what we read. The word obey. Three Hebrew letters. Sheen is the first one. So I've got really big teeth. It's like this. That's what you picture when you picture that first letter in the word obey in Hebrew. Sheen. It's a teeth. It's pressing and crushing. Pressing together and crushing. And the second one is mem, the second letter. It's an idea of making a choice that either leads to life or wickedness, chaos, and confusion. Ayan is pictured like water, okay? Or no, it's pictured like an eye um, to give you understanding and revelation. So in a nutshell, when I say the word obey, in a nutshell, what we're saying, Scripture is saying, is that when we make a choice to obey God, this is incredible, y'all. When we make a choice to obey what God says, we will crush every confusing thought, every confusion that comes our way, and we will have and receive understanding. We will crush all double-mindedness so that true revelation will come to your life. That's what obey is. You know, Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, disobedience wasn't the problem. It was a bigger issue. That was just symptomatic of what his issue was. What do you think his issue was? He loved something else more than he loved God. Every time we disobey, it's because what do we love more than we love God, right? The Shema, we saw that in the Passion too, but it's all over the Bible, right? Deuteronomy 6, go read Deuteronomy 6. Y'all read the Old Testament. The Shema, the Israelites, their children were taught this from the time they were babies. It says, fear Israel, or hear Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Right. And then it goes on to say that these words that I'm commanding you this day, keep them in your minds. Verse seven, you shall wet and sharpen them. What do you wet and sharpen? Come on. A sword. It's in the Old Testament. The word is a sword. You shall wet and sharpen these this word. Right. To make them penetrate, teach them and impress them diligently upon your minds, your hearts and the hearts of your children. When you sit down, when you get up, that's where we get those verses from. It's an incredible thing when we start to do that with your children, okay? And bind them as a signpost on your hands. Put them out in front of you on your forehead. God, I want to see your word above anything else. And three is spread the word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience, partial disobedience is full disobedience, okay? So me deciding, hey, I love Shane. Shane's my husband, been married to him for 27 years, but I'll have this little side piece going on on the side. That's adultery, right? An affair never begins in a bedroom. It always begins with your emotions. So as a woman of God, I must guard my emotions. I have to. Nobody else gets that place. Shane gets first place after God. And then my children. You see, so I can't, like, have an emotional affair with someone and be a fully committed wife. You see what I'm, what I'm saying here? Partial obedience is full disobedience. You've got another lover. 
if there is obedience in your life and it's not God. All right, so spread the word. Share it with other believers, right? An apple tree produces apples. A true disciple will produce other disciples. We want to spread the word of God. So remember, the word of God has the power to reveal, the power to demolish, to replicate, restore, the power to revive, the power to reward you with a future, and it has the power to make you ready to see Jesus. So moving forward, keep it real simple. Don't compare yourself to anybody else, any pastor, teacher, preacher, prophet, any evangelist. Your gifts are your gifts. Okay, all of you all, myself included, those online, we have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. We all have a part to play. Jesus' words were written to all of us. Okay, keep it simple. Okay, inch by inch, life's a cinch, yard by yard. It's hard. Okay, Sean's got it up there for me. Zig Ziglar quoted that. Keep it simple. Get involved in community. We've got small groups. There's Bible studies. There's uh, an app that you can do a Bible plan with. The thing is get involved with people who are celebrating the word, and you'll begin drawing closer to it. Go to the word to spend time with God. You're not just going to get information so everybody can hear how smart you are and how many scriptures you know. Listen, I know people who have memorized the books of Bible, and when times get tough, they have no strength to stand, okay? No strength to stand. I've been there too. So it's like, am I going to get it for information or am I going to just love on my father? Father, what are you saying to me today? And choose to believe it and act on it. Speak it out. Speak it into your life, okay? If you have allergies, don't claim my allergies. God didn't put that in the word. If you've got a sickness, a disease, it's not yours. It doesn't say that in the word of God. Say what the word says about you. You are healed of God. Healing is your bread, okay? Jesus said that in this world, I wish that you would prosper, or beloved, the apostle said that, I wish that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. God, thank you that my soul prospers, right? If you're hungry and lacking bread, God, you have said in your word, you've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. Speak the word, okay? So as I close, um, Sean, I don't know how fast you can find this or not. I'm sorry. It's just a little thing that I wrote out here. It used to be, you know, they did, they kept the Bibles in school and they've done the Pledge of Allegiance and all of that. But there's this one thing that I found and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, have you ever read Psalms 119? The entire Psalms is based on the word of God in there. And this one Baptist preacher in 1924, his name was Homer Grice, Southern Baptist. He came up from Psalms 119. He summarized it into one, like one, one sentence. And it says this, and I don't want you to do it with me because I don't want us to make vows to God that we're not ready to do. Because I am only as good as my word. I'm only as good as my word. So if I, if I tell Cameron, hey, Cameron, I will stand by your side, Cameron. And I know this is a hard situation. No matter what you go through, I'm going to stand by your side and defend you. When the time comes to defend Cameron, I'm going to have to be there to do that. Cameron, will I do that for you? I will. And I believe Cameron will do that for me. We're only as good as our word. So I don't want to take this. I, I want you to take a picture of what I'm going to ask visual to bring up if they can. It says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, that I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I will hide its word in my heart that I will not sin against God.